Hi, buddy. So, I'm Tom Heap. I write the uh, the manifesto online, and uh, this is hopefully the first in a series of podcasts I'll be getting on with. And um, happy to uh, have Charles Tell with us uh, today, who's a bit of a veteran of the auction house industry, uh, and who's currently uh, in the Grenadines waiting out the coronavirus to end. How are you doing, Charlie? <laughs> oh, 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 good, Tom. Good, good to be online with you, buddy. I'm sure London's an exciting yeah, place to Peckham's be. Yeah, Peckham's an too. exciting place to yeah. be. <laughs> <laughs> and and just to clarify for anyone listening, I came out here uh, for work before the coronavirus did hit. In fact, when I left the UK, there were zero cases. Um, so we just kind of, you know, witnessed the whole thing unfold accidentally while sitting on a boat away from it all. Um, but that was not a pre-planned decision. <laughs> not David Geffen. I, did, I, did, I didn't run away from it. It just, it just <laughs> happened that way. Cool. Well, no, no, no. I, I wouldn't be complaining. I'm jealous, to say the least. But anyway, so um, okay, I guess we should probably address the elephant in the room. Yeah, with watches, watches uh, and sort of the effect of uh, coronavirus and everything that's uh, kind of going to happen off the back of it. I mean, um, I think uh, we were just saying then that the auction houses have kind of cancelled their upcoming auctions um so the geneva auctions in may i think they were they're cancelled now are they or yeah 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 um, but we've seen them do uh quite well uh on, from the online forum i suppose um you know i know christie's and sotheby's have been having weekly uh online auctions which they seem to be doing quite well at well, what Sotheby's just had two, mm-hmm. didn't they? That they had the the Rolex one, then which is a hundred percent sold. Um, and it got <laughs> some really good prices, yeah. And then then they had one dedicated to Paddock Fleet, which I I didn't see the end result, so I don't know the percentage. But it was still up in even when I looked, I think two days before the end, it was at ninety six, ninety seven percent. So and again, really, really pretty healthy prices considering. Mm-hmm. So clearly the market's not not panicked yet. I mean, they had a. I mean, it's a beautiful watch. It's a, a 57, Paddock Nautilus mm-hmm. 5711P, which is the pre-anniversary model. Uh, it was like a special order. They only made 20 or 30 of them for VIP clients around the world. It's got a super cool blue dial mm-hmm. to it. Um, and then when they came up with the 40th anniversary, they cancelled So for, for the 5711P, the, 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 um, the special order piece they made, when I last looked, it was at 450, 480, something like that. Um, yeah. And that's a really good price for that watch. There has been one other one come up, which from memory made a similar, so I think it made less. But, but, but anyway, considering, you know, it was only on, online for a week. We're going through a coronavirus. The stock market's, you know, falling through the floor. Most businesses are going under. Yeah. The oil plummeted yesterday. Um, and, and yet, you know, they're still able to get such a strong price for, for a watch like that. Super strong. Kind of goes to show that the market is still there and people still have confidence in it. Yeah, that, it's still strong. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly so think, it's, it's uh, you know, kind of historically speaking, even like in kind of 2008, because um, I suppose that's a, that's the other major impact off the back of this coronavirus. It's just the biggest thing is probably, um, aside from uh, everything else, is, you know, it's, it's you know, Im- imminent recession, uh, sort, of, sort of following it. So, but then it, it, it's good yeah. to see that they're still sort of punching sort of high in the same way with, you know, you can compare it to like the art market. You know, in 2008, uh, along with watches, you sort of had still had really strong auctions, sort of figures coming out then. 
Well, I mean, in, in, in 2009, that the watch market definitely took a significant drop. Um, the, the, the modern pieces mm-hmm. didn't drop as far as as vintage because I guess people had a, a recommended retail price, so they had something to you know something retails at a hundred thousand, yep. I can buy it for you know thirty. Well, well, you know, it, it's it's worth buying, but with the vintage things, you know, how yep. much was it worth? It was just worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And because up until 2008, the market, or 77, had, had grown so much, mm-hmm. it just fell off a cliff and really dropped. But I, I don't know if, and admittedly, we haven't seen any sort of really big vintage pieces come up to, to make that determination. But I think now the market's yeah. so much bigger. There's so many more people involved in it, so many more collectors. And also 2009 tortoise. God, if you had a time machine... Go back to 2009 with money oh, yeah, in the bank. Yeah. Still there, China. Good vintage just... <laughs> pieces. Because as a, as a long-term investment, yeah, they, they, yeah, they all went through the roof eventually. So, so we may well find that now people, having learned that, will, mm. you know, any good vintage that comes up, they'll buy it anyway because they'll know that in five, ten years' time, I um, suppose if you've you got, know, it's going to uh, go up more. The kind of ready is lying around to sort of put into a longer-term investment. Now's the kind of time to do it, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, largely it's psychological. To just, sorry, like, certainly, again, previously we'd seen it was psychology. So that, you know, when you lost, and I mean, I had clients that called up, you know, once they had lost a certain amount of money on the stock market, that was it. They were just in tears and mm-hmm. they didn't want to buy anything else. And they just lost faith in, in, in investments. Um, and if they were going to buy again, they would probably invest back in the stock market. But, you know, stock markets dropped, but we're still seeing people buying watches. So, you know, Maybe it is sort of seen as a as yeah. a diverse asset that has you know. Well, I suppose kind of the other thing is with, with you know, currency jumping up and down. There seems quite a safe place to keep it all, you know, uh, in in a, a strong market like that. Let's hope so. But um, so uh, maybe let's talk about. Uh, I know uh, Basel and Son has you know sort of cacked cacked it now. It's all done, gone. Oh, what? Forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> It's finished. Such a shame. Did you, did you ever look at how, how long has it been going for? Because it's got to be, you know, I, for the life of me, I just don't remember. Yeah, a long time, hey. And what a way to go. But, you know, even, it was their yeah. own downfall. It wasn't like, yeah. what a shame. I mean, they created uh, it. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's kind of mad, really. It, I suppose it's, you know, it will, they'll, well, the first one was 1917. I've just looked that up. So, you know, you're talking sort of before the, before the end of the First World War. Wow. Um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's a bloody insane, long time, you know, 103 it? years to just, like, essentially yeah. overnight go kaput. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, but, but, but it wasn't, because obviously, you know, the last couple of years, yeah. well, and you could say with starting up, whatever, 25 or 30 years ago, I guess now, yeah, when, when they had the original falling out, that was kind of, Swatch you know, that, that was a bad omen for them. And then in the last few years, there's, you know, yeah, well, and all the journalists have complained about it, and all the manufacturers complained about really? it. And you know, it's it's when everyone complains in that way, then then you should really yeah, start just, listening to your to those people. It's um, and and they and they did, yeah, and well, you know, they um, were <laughs> but I suppose the other thing is it's just on the actual, you know, in uh, in any climate, if you're kind of looking at your outgoings and you're chucking a hundred grand plus out a year. Uh, even for not like even for a big-ish company, you know, like uh, Seiko, for instance, they were. Um, I was chatting to one of the guys from Number while back before they, uh, just, sorry, just after they pulled out, um, and they were saying, you know, it costs us absurd money to have a, a booth there for a week, uh, and we can just take our, 
instead of doing that, we can fly our like top three percent of our clients out to out to Japan and host them for a week, you know, or a few days, and then, you know, and that will kind of breed a sort of better sort of brand experience versus doing um, you know, a big uh, kind of thing, which is I suppose a little bit outdated. You know, I mean, you need you need a platform to do it, but I mean, like you know, it's yeah, you know, we've got the internet now. <laughs> Who's I, and who, who does it? I've never been to one. Yeah. I think you've been to one, but Bremont do something where when they do a launch, they'll, they'll rent out a, a, a location somewhere and invite everyone to come along and all yeah, the retailers and, it, and everything and else. And they'll make and a big, big it, song and dance really about good it. Fun. Like, that's I actually went quite a clever way of doing it. Last year. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, no, it was last year. It was, it's around Basel time as well. So there's a lot of focus on the watch game at that, that point in time. And they'd rented, the, it was a barracks in Farringdon. Um, and they obviously they do a lot of stuff with the army and so on. So you kind of walked in, they decked out this uh, place, and it looked it looked fantastic. Uh, and there's tons of you know British army soldiers sort of in uniform and so on, and the air force and everything. And it was you know, and it was just yeah, it was good a really that. good. It's one of the best sort of most fun watch parties I've been at anyway. And it was yeah, it was, it was a good laugh. So there is that sort of that PR element that sort of like uh, it's a bit of a uh, two fingers up at the Swiss, I suppose, given that it's Bremont. But, <laughs> but, yeah. so, what, so what's your opinion? Because I think everyone's got an opinion and no one knows. So there's no right or wrong answer. Is if, so we might have talked about it, so I might have given my opinion away on this one. Um, with, with Rolex and Paddock and everyone else doing their first hmm. Geneva show in April next year, are we going to see um, any new releases like this to, year? I don't think it will. You know, um, I think they'll just, um, you know, well, well, that's that's the funny one, isn't it? Because it's Cause like, it, you I, know, stop I remember producing a model in anticipation that you're going to discontinue it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you would keep. I mean, I would imagine they'll probably keep quiet about it, and it will become ob- obvious over the space of a few months if it if the waiting lists for like a Hulk or something just become, you know, oh yeah, you'll get one in April, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something like that. Well, but, but I would imagine. I would imagine, I, I know for Patek, for instance, you know, when, when they release, literally in one day, they'll change their website. So yeah. they'll take off all the, all the discontinued, um, well, I think, and, and, and put on all the new pieces that are on there. So I wonder if, without the new pieces coming on, whether we just start to see gradually um, models as they Pulling become the sold yeah. out, yeah. Uh, removed from the website, yeah, or, or, or whether um, they keep promoting them. Because, you know, in theory, it doesn't make sense. If, if you can't go into retail and buy it anyway then why promote it on the website you might as well, yeah you might as well you know remove that as an option and and try and you know yeah. entice your clients into buying something else mm. which they which i you suppose can it's um well they did that already with the uh the white dial 5711 a few uh few months ago wasn't it yeah a couple of months ago yeah. oh, did they take that I off mean, it was all it wasn't it wasn't like uh yeah it wasn't like it was uh you know they made a big song and dance about it, but it just fell off the website. <laughs> Let's wait and see. It'll be an interesting time. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sure. And if that is the case where they don't do any new releases this year, and particularly if, again, big companies like um, Rolex and Patek are going to be holding their own exhibition April 2021, I would expect some really big things. And you can just yeah. imagine the anticipation. You know, once life's sort of gone back to normal, retail's gone back to normal, we haven't seen a new release for, for, for two years. Everyone's yeah. going to be jumping at the pit to try and find out what it is so it, it'll almost drive traffic oh, yeah. to that new event so well and it's got to be um, a success. you know and, and i'm i wouldn't be surprised you know they're 
you know, they're paying for the spaces and everything. So that I think they'll they'll go hell for leather on it, uh, which would be quite good fun. And if you if you think about the dates as well, yeah, what would be what was that? Twenty twenty one, two years uh, before Submariner seventieth anniversary. Um, I don't know if they'll do a seventieth or a seventy fifth, but you know, it seems like a. As you said, that they'll be they'll have to knock out some serious stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, but but so Submariner is so overdue, and also that they're still using the 31, old one. Yeah, yeah, they've been using that point, since nineteen eighty nine, I think. Yeah, I mean they they've got it updated to, to thirty two thirty. The main update they'll do is they'll just increase the barrel size. Uh, power reserve longer. You know that's what, what we're doing across yeah, the well, range. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. that's kind of the main difference, really, except for the the um. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose, we, but you and I, we've we've probably had this conversation fifty times. <laughs> 50 times over over a, beer. over a couple of hundred bits. Do you remember? <laughs> well, but, yeah. well, I mean, I, I, I think they'll, um, obviously, they'll make, what do you reckon they're going to do with the new sub if they do anything? Uh, you know, if they were going to do anything, what would they do? Well, so, and obviously, well, but because of the sea dweller, they're a little bit restricted as to what they can do with it. But I, I, I mean, I've got to say, I, I still think they're going to increase the size, which would, you know, follow along their, their sort of, um, their, their recent changes, you know, they increase the sea dweller. I think they're going to increase yeah. the size of the sub, um, and it's going to look very similar to the to the sea dweller. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens off the back of that because I suppose you know um, the kind of trend is at the moment watches are getting a little bit smaller. If we look at two, do we can see yeah. that? But you yeah. know, if you think about how long it takes to push a watch design from you know, conception to production in Rolex, you know, they're probably operating on ideas they produced years ago, you know. Yeah, for <laughs> so, sure. So it's I like, mean, they are so outdated. Yeah, yeah. As, as ten... the rest of the market goes smaller, they go bigger. Yeah, because, well, because the other thing is probably at the time everything was going big, that it took them five years to get the idea through, of course. <laughs> through the board. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. There's just, there's just no doubt. So we can expect some contemporary watches from Rolex in about five to ten years, basically. That's right. <laughs> They'll start to make everything smaller. Yeah. <laughs> uh. um. <laughs> and of course, there's Watches and Wonders, too, I just saw, has, has made an announcement. They're going to do something online as well. Yeah. Which is effectively kind of SIHH um, um, new title. Right. So that'll be interesting how they're going to, whether they're sort of going to make it interactive or how they're going to release that online. Mm-hmm. Well, this, but this, this, this virus thing could, could change a lot of the ways people do business where, you know, they start pushing more for, for online. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, a few years ago, Breitling started selling online. I think Amiga sell online. Yeah, Bright, Breitling um, also have um, so, outlets, though, as well. <laughs> Got that's that, also, like... yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. I mean, I mean, outlets gone. Uh, yeah, the outrage. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> you heard you got a sale on. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, um, Watches of Wonders have got a pretty serious uh, sort of offering, I suppose, in terms of the brands uh, there. At least yeah. to say, Langer and MBNF as well, which is wow. yeah, of course, yeah. So yeah, they, they, they've got enough brands that sort of you know really have a an, an influence in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I always like MBNF's uh, stuff. I mean, yeah. I didn't really get them until I held one, and I was like, "Okay, I, I get it now." No. Although not not trying to be controversial, because I really like Max and I, and I love what what MBNF do. But I'm not so sure about this new bulldog. Oh, the bulldog, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I love that I one. I, I think it's like it's it's really? it's it's a, a true novelty. You know, it's like they've made the mm. jellyfish, they've made a space pirate. You know, I, I I quite like it, but I think if it wasn't done by Max Bursa, 
you know, it wouldn't have had. Yeah, it would fail. Yeah, yeah, basically, you know. Uh, I quite like it. I think, I it's, I think it's really fun, however fucking yeah, well, expensive it is, £100,000 watch. Yeah, but. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I think it's quite cool. I guess other than the sort of, you know, the LN1 or whatever it is, he has always sort of gone for very controversial pieces where you yeah. either love it or you hate it. And he really, yeah. you know, he thrives in that field. Well, that's the nice thing. I mean, with their production numbers, only a very small amount of people need to like it. Yeah, you know? true, true. <laughs> so, so, yeah. And, and, and just... Just as a point of view, you know, one of my favourite ones that they ever made was, was the LMX, which is the 10-year anniversary, which sort of had like a sort of look like an, an engine, sort of like a driver's watch, only titanium. And I think it retailed originally at 30,000 US dollars. And, and now it's, its secondary price is right around that same sort of figure, which is really good for an independent to maintain its, yeah. its value yeah. um, over that sort of period of time. It's quite unusual because normally they don't have the same sort of mass followings as the big brands. Yeah. Their prices do have tend to have a bit of a drop off, but it's nice to see that, that he's able to produce a limited edition and then have such strong demand for it that it maintains its price. Absolutely, and you kind of see that a bit with Erwerk as well. Like they even um, yep, they, true, they've true. got their own pre-owned uh, like shop mm. on their own website alongside their. Yep. They're doing pretty well. They're doing pretty well. It's yeah. impressive. Well, actually, if you think that the Erwerk and Max um, as an MBNF. And also Global Forza as well. Mm-hmm. They're all doing their own pre-owned stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they can't... I don't know. I should really know how many watches they produce a year. I think it's, it's, under, <laughs> it's under 100 a year, I think, isn't it? Uh, Global Forza. Yeah. It's, it's certainly small. But and actually, you know, Global were quite influential in terms of... Um, and, and it was a true story where... I remember when I was in the auction world, was it with... I think it was... Maybe it was Max or sort of one, one of an MBNF. Anyway... Obviously, the problem is because they're quite niche products, then when you auction them, you've got to use quite a, a, an aggressive estimate because you don't know how many people are going to be bidding for and you've got to make it attractive. Yeah. And then sometimes if you don't get a large number of bidders, and we're going back a few years when they weren't as, as big and popular as they are now, then they could sell quite low. Yeah. Um, and that was really hurting the, as in, you know, if you've got like a Google and it costs $350,000 new and one sells at an auction for one hundred and fifty. You know, it's very hard to kind of look at it from an investment point of view. Yeah. And Google, I think, from memory, one of the first where they started embracing the, the pre-owned ones that came up at auction and actually promoting them amongst their clients. And then they were the first, I think, to say, uh, any of our clients that, or anyone that buys this watch will give you a free service for it. Um, That's pretty good on a half million quid watch. It was a really smart and really big thing, though, because that way then you've got more bidders to buy on it because servicing can be quite expensive. Mm-hmm. That also meant that, that they got the client details of the, of the buyer, which is good from their you know, future purchases point of view. Yeah. And, uh, and, it, and it strengthened the whole market for Gruber Forzi. Um, and then Max MBNF started doing the same thing. And I remember that one of the most recent MBNF to come up made more than retail for, I think it was the Alan Silverstein <laughs> limited edition. Yeah. And, um, and, and so they just, instead of kind of, like Jean has always looked upon the grey market as being very, you know, ugh, uh, and turns his nose up at it and doesn't want to be involved. Yeah. Whereas they kind of embraced it and said, look, people are going to sell our stuff and, we're, and when that happens, we're going to support it. So it's so yeah. good for them. It, 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 hence, it makes sense for them to get involved in the pre-end as well. It's quite an interesting uh, topic how uh, uh, primary market, well, watch brands when they're selling on the primary market as a manufacturer or a, or a retailer, you know, how they, how they look at uh, the secondary market, you know, I mean, even in terms of, uh, I mean, the song has been sung before, but you know, with Rolex and protect blacklisting people, you know, it's, it's, um, 
it's a bit mad. Any other product can you think of where uh, if you buy it, you're not allowed to sell it or you'll never be <laughs> sold. Oh, another, I, I, you know? I, know. I, I, I remember, and, you know, I understand, that, has... I understand they're protecting it, but. Well, a bit, but like if you if you got let's say you were able to buy you know one of these new uh, LaFerrari models at whatever amount of money, and then yeah. you then you sold it and made made a profit on it, then they say, all right, next time we come out with a new LaFerrari, we're not going to sell it to you. Um, so I guess it it does sort of come about with in other brands as well. But I think maybe Patek and some of those are more aggressive than others. Um, yeah, a bit more vindictive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... And I know it's, it's the same for for, for Richard Mill for some of the pieces that. You know, you just can't buy them at retail. Like I know an RM11-3, for example, which is the latest iteration of that um, of that model. Yeah. Then, then they were selling, and I don't know if they still are, but they were selling above retail because you couldn't buy them for love of money. And there was a waiting list, and literally they they would go and and research everyone that applied for one, yeah, um, to find out if you know where the money came from. Yeah, had they sold before? If they were a dealer, it was the main thing really they wanted to know: are you a private buyer or a dealer? Do you remember when we went into uh, when Richard Mill just opened on Bond Street, mm. and it had been open for like like a week or two or something? And we we were walking past. I can't remember where we were going, but we stopped in, and there was it was empty. Probably the shop to the was, pub. yes, probably to the pub. But the, but the the shop was empty. The manager yeah. showed us the wine cellar, you know, because yeah. <laughs> there's no watches. There weren't any watches. Yeah. <laughs> he took us down to the bottom of the shop and showed us all the wine. Yeah, no, he didn't show any watches. But but I guess you know, the question was, you know, was it full of watches on an opening day, and then they sold them all, and they just didn't yeah, have enough to replace them. I guess that, it, that must it, be it because the only that is probably only, the case. It was all the only pieces in there were like the, the ladies' sort of diamond pieces. It wasn't yeah. really yeah. Um, everything good kind of went, and I heard that but, was exactly the same case in New York when they opened there yeah. as well. Wouldn't surprise me at all. But you know what? What a market to have, hey, where. You know, you start yeah. it at over a hundred thousand dollars for a piece, and and you've got a waiting list across the board. Um, you know, it's crazy, but good for yeah. him too. Yeah, to, to have created yeah. that type of you know uh, uber yeah. wealthy. But I really do wonder how long you know that will last, and whether that that that, that bubble will um, will burst one day. I suppose it's kind of like brands like Richard Mill and Grubel Forsey and so on that they had to be kind of created in a market that was kind of pre 2008. I don't think now they would have necessarily worked in the same way had they not been sort of around before all that. Well, I mean, our only started having in 2001, but, but I think, yeah. you know, they, for me, they're quite different watches in terms of, you know, a Grubel, you know, the, the finishing that goes into it, the, the hand polish, oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah. The, the limited yeah. numbers. And you wouldn't really, recognize someone's wearing a Grubel Forsey, you wouldn't immediately say, oh, look, I know what that I is. Don't know. But, but, but yeah. Richard Miller done really, really well with sort of, you know, the same type of case design, numerous, numerous limited editions, um, you know, ever increasing price value and very recognizable. So I might have said before, you know, when I was still living in LA, I see a, uh, an older guy in a convertible, you know, Rolls Royce um, um, Phantom with a very young girl next to him. And naturally he's wearing a Richard Mill. Because um, that's their perfect clientele. Yeah. Like you know, I'm, I've got money. I'm young and sporty. Um, look at me. Look at my Federer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but obviously, there's enough people out yeah. there that, that to keep it. You know, you keep oh, yeah. selling them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It sounds like Peckham in the background. It is Peckham. Like that's, the, that's, the, that's the evening chorus. <laughs> it's crazy, actually. Like we were, I was sitting in the um, off the topic of watches. 
uh, I was sitting in the window here the other day, and I, I live in front of a, a. I live on a crescent, so it's like in front of a, um, a little park kind of thing. And you know, obviously, the weather here has been very nice. Probably not as nice as it's been in uh, the Caribbean, but um, you know, we just get police sort of walking through with megaphones all day, just shouting at people for, <laughs> for lying yeah. down on the grass. Not even just like people have with their kids, like sitting sitting in the park. You know. Wow, I just um, can't imagine. But apparently, the yeah, well, um, a friend of mine lives in Kennington, and he was. I told him about this, and he was like, "Yeah, there's nothing." They've started using drones in Kennington. Wow, you know, <laughs> with speakers on them to tell people to go home. That's Madness. so crazy. You know, a friend of mine so, anyway. who lived who lives in um, um, Santa Monica was sending me some pictures, and it looks like a regular. Saturday afternoon in, in LA. You know, there's still people yeah. out walking their dogs and walking around and hiking and exercising. Like, it, you it's know. It's so different, though, in the, in the US. They've, they've taken a really baked approach to all of it. You know, yeah. nothing's, nothing's being enforced, you know, and they don't have a national health service, so they're not I know, able to really tackle it. Yeah. You know, they can't. I mean, how, how many private hospitals are there in the US? And no how idea. difficult is it going to be to get all of them in line? to do, you know, something across the board in one, it's just madness, you know. Yeah, and just the thing anyway, the cost anyway. of it, if, if, you did, if you didn't have health insurance oh, and you, had to, and you had, to, had to go to the hospital on a ventilator, you know, I hate to think of the cost of it. You know, well, one of my, my issues with living in, in LA, um, particularly with, with having kids there too, was just the, you know, the cost of the health insurance is phenomenal and it's so health expensive. Health insurance anyway is as expensive as what, if you're going in for something every month, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's, I, I think, you know, we pay something like $25,000 a year, and that was without, you know, and still pretty big deductibles on there too. Um, yeah. It's just phenomenal. And, and you know, and, and, and unaffordable, basically. Anyway, back on watches. Anyway, back, back to watches. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see what happens with um, sort of existing watches in the secondary market, you know, like obviously sort of like the BLNRs, um, Daytonas and so on. Well, like I think they they took a little bit of a hit. I, I well at the moment because stuff like Rolex you can't buy it online. You and most of the retailers the retailers aren't allowed to sell it online and they're not allowed to open up their store. But Rolex, although they closed down for ten days, are still manufacturing. So in theory, if you wanted your Daytona yeah. or then now is the time to get it because there should be a backlog once those retailers start open up again. Um, you know, Rolex yeah. must still be producing. And then it might actually be good for the market. Because, you know, now that there will be a more of an availability of stock. So, if, you know, if you wanted um, to buy one, you might be able to buy one at, at retail, which could be a great thing. I don't know how long it'll last for, because probably someone will come along and snap them all up and then start yeah. charging uh, in, yeah. in addition again. Uh, but, but those are happens. the pieces that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> those are the pieces that, that could have a short-term financial effect. I mean, you're still looking at over 20000 on the secondary for, uh, for a brand new steel Daytona. Well, the, but the Daytonas have always been, you know, um, um, I remember back in, you know, when they first came out in 88 or something like that, you couldn't find one and you wouldn't be able to find one in all the years since. So, no, fair so you know, that, that's not, we're not going to start seeing stainless steel Daytonas in the window anytime soon. Um, that will definitely not, never change overnight. Um, but, but for other models, things like, you know, again, the, the, the Seedweller, the Explorers, um, the GMT, stuff like that, you know, I remember five years ago or maybe a bit a few more you know they were in the window you could just walk in and buy one um it's only it's yeah. only in recent times i think that we've all gone so crazy with the consumerism and and, and frankly some people have made so much money and and they've seen it as such a great investment 
you know, demand has overtaken supply by such a huge amount. And then once that's sort of being eaten up, they've moved on to the next model and then the next and the next and the next to the point where there's no sports models at all available to buy. Yeah. But obviously the, the, the big the big tell in terms of the vintage stuff and the collectible stuff will be when we start to see the live auctions again. I mean, November, I assume. Yeah. Um, no one knows, I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, because the other thing is it's, you know, I mean, I was looking the other day and I was trying to, I mean, had, did they release, I don't think they even released the catalogues for me. No, no, no they, yeah. they, 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 no. they knew so, well before. And, I mean, they would have been consigning pieces yeah, for Yeah, no, it, of course. But, yeah, um, yeah. That, that would all go, 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 get passed over. No. Yeah, which, which is a bit of a shame because obviously most people are just going to, you know, leave their stuff with... Uh, the relative auction. Leave their stuff with... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not doing the thing with them because, you know, they... I mean, when you can sign a piece, they're going to say to you, you know, this might, it might take you like six to months to a year to get your money for it. But uh, from when, you know, depending on when you can sign it. But... Um, I guess, uh, you know, what's going to happen? Are they going to have, like, a particularly big auction or are they just going well, to stagger I, them? I, 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 I would have thought it would be a, a fairly normal one, but I've got to say it must be quite tough from an auction point of view. And, and again, having done this before, you're always kind of trying to speculate because you're putting your catalogue together or you're consigning pieces for your catalogue months and months and months in advance. And so you're trying to speculate where the market will, will be. And you can only really kind of use historic values as to where you should be placing mm-hmm. the estimate. Um, unless you have a really good handle on the market. And in this instance, because no one knows, do you just value it as per pre-coronavirus estimates? Or do you say, look, you know, we're going to have to be super aggressive just to make sure that the market is going to want to buy because we don't know. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, mm. see how they start estimating stuff. Now, I mean, again, some of the auction when, when you when you say go aggressive anyway. When, when, when you say aggressive, do you mean... Like, um, Making it more attractive, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, so dropping the prices so they know they're going to be have a good yeah, sell and, through. And again, so some of the you know, traditionally it was all well, basically under RL, then, then you know, because his sales tend to be so well, um, um, um attended, um, and and viewed that he can kind of command where he'll say, you know, I want this price, and if you don't give me that price, then I won't take your watch. So, you know, that's why mm-hmm. he has always tended to have quite low estimates on things because he's in a, in a position to do it. Um, and fair enough, if I found a, a yeah. you know, I don't know, a stainless steel pad at 24.99 Black Dahl in a little flea market for a dollar somewhere, which chance would be a fine thing, then he would probably be the guy, be he, nice he would be the guy to give, <laughs> I would give it to. And I'd say, you know what, put an estimate of whatever you want on it. It doesn't matter because I'd have the confidence that it would make the market value. Um, yeah, if it's if it's the right piece, yeah. you know, it's always gonna, it's always gonna yeah. do it. So, yeah. so that, that's uh, okay. hopefully that's that's you know the way that they'll they'll price it and just say you know it'll sell for market value and they'll then we'll just find out on the day. It'll be an interesting couple of months to sort of keep an eye on and you know see what happens because we've been told we'll be back at work or at least another three weeks. So we'll you know apparently we'll be going sort of back to work in the beginning oh, wow. of May, but. I'm still a bit skeptical about because, that. Because when does the UK, still... doesn't the UK um, officially, whatever the lockdown, end on like May 7 or something like that? I think it's, okay. it's May 5th. They've said that that's a very... Loose um, number, yeah. Loose day. Glass half full okay. kind of approach. But, I mean, bearing in mind that, you know, they've extended the furloughing to four months. Um, and it's, 
and it's we're a, a month yeah. in, yeah. you know, to that following, and that we're not going to go back to work on May fifth. But you know, I guess yeah. we'll see what. Yeah.